0: Welcome to another episode of the Agribiz Show on the Mighty 790 and 104.7 KFGO. I'm your host, Rusty Halverson. Here's what's happening in agriculture. Extension officials hosted a Best of the Best in Wheat Research meeting at the Courtyard by Marriott in Moorhead, Minnesota. Dr. Andrew Friskop of NDSU Extension started the day with a discussion about wheat disease management for eastern North Dakota and western Minnesota.
1: Yeah, so today's presentation is uh, wheat diseases are always on somebody's mind for the next year, so I always get asked a question about the crystal ball approach, what we should be worrying about, uh, how should we look at this from a management perspective, so I kind of dove into the details, gave them three diseases they need to think about uh, for next year, um, two biggest ones being bacterial leaf streak and fusarium head blight or scab, and gave a research and management update on all those diseases.
0: Dr. Claire Keen of NDSU Extension talked with growers about spring wheat variety selection for the 2024 growing season.
2: So something that I think ties in well with what Andrew Friskop was talking about in regards to diseases is have growers look at um, the rankings for disease resistance that's available in the NDSU spring wheat variety trial guides. Uh, Bacterial leaf streak is a disease of concern and so getting a variety with a a resistance rating of five or lower it's a one to nine scale the high numbers mean susceptible the lower numbers more resistant Um, that can make a big difference in terms of uh, yield at the end of this season if bacterial leaf streak is a problem, so um, encourage growers to look for varieties that have BLS scores of 5 or lower. think that's important Um, and then also keeping in mind head scab we haven't had a lot of issues with that the last two seasons but it certainly could be a problem so same thing encouraging growers to look at varieties uh, with some better disease rating scores for those diseases.
0: The lunch speaker was NDSU agricultural finance specialist Brian Parman talking about ag equipment prices.
3: You know we saw new equipment prices you know kind of skyrocket there for a couple of years they've mostly leveled off um and uh more or less following the trends that they were following prior to the big run up you know with the logistical issues and problems that we had coming out of the pandemic which obviously pulled used equipment prices up with it but we're starting to see you know u- used equipment inventories are growing or have grown substantially uh, since a year ago um Asking values are are quite a bit above what auction values on used equipment are right now, so that used equipment market has softened uh, quite a bit. Um, I don't think there's a lot of good deals to be found on used equipment, but you're also not going to be paying the big premiums that were being paid uh, before. And how far down they're eventually going to settle, that that remains to be seen. I guess that's a wait and see uh, over the next couple of quarters or months or coming up.
0: The best of the best research meetings are a joint effort of NDSU Extension, University of Minnesota Extension, and regional commodity groups. The Minnesota Farm Bureau's LEAP Conference, Leadership, Education, Advocacy, and Promotion, took place recently at the Delta Hotel in Fargo. The annual LEAP Conference is designed to provide leadership and advocacy training for all Minnesota Farm Bureau members. Jessie Bester is from Dakota County, south of St. Paul. She serves as chair of the Young Farmers and Ranchers Committee.
4: So this weekend, the Young Farmer and Ranchers are in charge of the collegiate discussion meet as well as the Young Farmer and Rancher discussion meet. Um, We will also be giving out... uh, two awards, Outstanding Friend of the Young Farmer and Ranchers Committee, as well as the Golden Pitchfork Award. So there's different things going on. Um, it's This whole thing's been in the works for a long time. <laughs>
0: During the discussion meet competition during the annual conference, eight semifinalists out of 20 competitors advanced to the final two rounds of competition. The winner of a November competition will advance to the national Young Farmers and Ranchers Discussion Meet at the American Farm Bureau's annual convention. It's going to be held next January in San Antonio, Texas. Bester recently returned from the Farm Bureau's national convention in Salt Lake City.
4: I brought home networking and also the just sheer joy of understanding that what we have in Minnesota Farm Bureau is pretty special. Um, the Young Farmer and Rancher Committee, along with the PE, which is Promotion and Education Committee, work hand in hand with a lot of the stuff in the programming that we do. And it's just really special to see that and be able to share that when we're down at American Farm Bureau conventions like that. Um, I also got to meet quite a few members throughout the country and just see exactly how they run their farm bureaus at the county, state, and, of course, when they come to nationals. So it was just a really good kind of family bonding moment, I like to call it.
0: (laughs) Over 225 members attended this year's conference, taking part in workshops, special sessions, and networking with fellow members from around the state. At the Northern Corn and Soybean Expo, futurist and best-selling author Peter Zion was the keynote speaker, speaking to growers about several topics, including global trade. Zion says producers need to keep a close eye on China
5: what we're going through right now is the biggest economic transformation I don't want to say human history but we're getting close to that certainly the biggest one for the last 400 years we're seeing a change in the population structures as most countries don't run out of children that happened 20, 30 years ago we're now running out of 40 year olds and that's a very different economic model from anything the world has ever seen before and it makes international trade of the way we've become used to in the last half century impossible so we're now No longer talking about just the collapse of, say, the Chinese state in the next decade. We're now talking about the end of the Chinese ethnicity by the end of this century. And obviously that changes what you plan because you're now looking at different markets because you're going to have to. And everything is in the process of reforming around the shift in population structure and around this idea that globalization can't even function with the population structure we have now.
0: Zion has some advice for growers as they set long-range goals for their operation to set up the next generation for success.
5: I would say whatever the market is that you feel comfortable serving, you need to go through and do some serious mental dissection of why you're there. You need to understand what the limitations are both on the production side and the consumption side and what links those two things. So, for example, if you're primarily selling to China right now, that might not be the best plan <laughs> because the Chinese system doesn't have much time left. And if the product you're selling to the Chinese market doesn't have a ready market somewhere else, then you need to look at what you're producing. So I think the best example I can give you of the people who are going to have to make the most shifts are corn. Okay. Uh, there are two big markets in terms of end consumption. Number one is animal fodder. You break down global... Economic activity and the ability of a lot of people, especially in China, to afford animal protein goes away. So all of a sudden, that, that is a weak spot. Okay. Number two, because of the shale revolution, we are now in a situation for at least the next 30 years where we will never be able to produce ethanol at a lower price point than oil-based gasoline. And that's before you consider that a lot of global producers of agricultural products around the world are going to go out of business in this sort of system. So food prices go up, oil prices here stay relatively low, the market doesn't make sense anymore. Now, luckily, everyone who grows corn can also grow soy. So it's not like there's not a backup plan. This isn't the California Central Valley where you're selling cherries, which should never have been produced in California, to a single market that should have never existed. Uh, There are ways to adapt here. But you have to understand what led you to produce the things you produce. And then you can start thinking about where you might need to make adjustments.
0: And Zion has some thoughts about the renewable fuels standard and demand for corn and soybeans.
5: Uh, Well, let me give you the con and then the pro. The con is that the numbers today make no sense, and soy diesel specifically is one of the very, very few things that I've ever seen where it's expanded to produce at scale where the economics get worse. That's not supposed to happen. Uh, and so if we're looking at a world where global food production is truncated, there's nothing about this with today's statistics that looks positive. Nothing at all. It's a government mandate and nothing more. That's, that's an uncomfortable place to be in, because if food prices double, triple, quadruple, you think we have an inflation problem now, and that has provoked a government response? Imagine what will happen to the renewable fuel standard if we get in that environment. And we will. That's the con. Pro. We're trying a lot of new things right now, and maybe, maybe we'll be able to crack the code on how to do ethanol and biodiesel in a more economically viable way. Now, that might require switchgrass, which is something that farmers are going to be a lot less excited about producing, but even if none of this works out, The breakdown of global trade means that the more steps of the production value chain, regardless of the sector, energy, manufacturing, agriculture, doesn't matter what it is, the more steps that we can bring home, the better off we're going to be and the more flexible we're going to be and the more income we're going to have. So even if it turns out that soy biodiesel, for example, never happens, we will then have a crushing industry throughout the Midwest that adds value. And makes it easier for that product to be sold on a global basis. So one of the things I'm seeing a lot of sectors is people building industrial infrastructure to service a theoretical market that maybe isn't going to work out. But that can always be retooled to something that we know can work out. So do I like the program right now? No. Am I supportive of people building it anyway? Absolutely. Because the more we front load, the less of a shock we're going to have on the back end.
0: That's Peter Zion, president of Zion on Geopolitics. As soybean crushing capacity expands across North Dakota, railroad shippers are planning accordingly. Jim Titsworth is the general director of agricultural development at BNSF Railway.
1: That's our business. We're going to need to figure out how to move that production. And, you know, soy crush and meal and oil is something we do every day in other regions of our network. We're going to do it in North Dakota, just the same way. Um, And we're going to do that in an excellent manner. And we see that now, right? We've, we have uh, one new um, soy plant, you know, up and running in North Dakota, another one coming out of the ground. um, And, you know, expansions across our network, both in the crushing side and in the, the meal receiving. Um, side and the oil processing and receiving side as well. So, um, you know, no change of strategy necessary. Uh, Just go out and do a good job of doing what we've always done. Be flexible, collaborative, creative. We and our customers will do just fine.
0: Titsworth says, aside from shuttle train activity, there's a lot of activity in smaller train loads and they're still trying to play catch up due to some logistical issues
1: a large portion of our what we call our merchandise network, our single car network is provided by agricultural shippers, right? If you think about all of the sweeteners, all of the feeds, all of the specialty grains, and the list goes on. Um, those all go in our single car network. And, you know, we have a, a lot of emphasis on that network we're performing at a level now that i'm that i'm happy with Um, i expect better performance for that we're working very closely on um, local service over uh, the last couple of years we're running uh, somewhere around 90 92 percent of what our local service plan is
0: that's jim titsworth with bnsf We'll have more on this week's episode of the Agribiz Show, coming up in just a moment on the Mighty 790 and 104.7 KFGO. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Agribiz Show on the Mighty 790 and 104.7 KFGO. I'm your host, Rusty Halverson. A federal judge has vacated the 2020 dicamba registrations by the EPA. Affected products include Bayer's Extendamax, BASF's Ingenia, and Syngenta's Tavium. Crop protection companies are assessing the situation to find a path forward for dicamba. The American Soybean Association and its 26 soy state affiliates have sent a letter to the EPA asking the administration for help. Josh Geckel, ASA president and soybean farmer from North Dakota, says if the administration does not issue an existing stocks order so growers can use the millions of dollars of product already ordered for spring planting, they're going to be in a world of hurt. North Dakota Agriculture Commissioner Doug Goring. We're asking for the most reasonable uh, outcome to this, which is allow an existing stocks order to be in place so that producers aren't punished for this decision by the district court. And uh, that means if you already purchased your seed, you've already made a decision, uh, the existing stocks that are out there with retailers can be used until they're gone. And when they're gone, they're gone. That's North Dakota Ag Commissioner Doug Goring. It was Giving Hearts Day this past week. It's the biggest day of the year for many nonprofits, including Farm Rescue. Farm Rescue Marketing Program Manager Dan Erdman says aside from monetary giving, people can help out by volunteering their time.
5: We try to make it a pretty simple process. If uh, if you have an interest in, in agriculture, obviously that helps. Uh, you don't necessarily need to have that to to help serve Farm Rescue. Um, there's there's other opportunities beyond driving a combine or a tractor that that you can assist uh, assist our mission. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're someone that wants to get a little more. Active with Farm Rescue on the volunteer front, we're we're always looking for more talented, driven people to to support those families that we're serving. So, uh, go to our website, it's farmrescue.org. You can click on the volunteer tab, learn a little more about the the process of volunteering, and and if it's something that interests you, uh, we encourage everyone to sign up and and hopefully you can help serve as our boots on the ground in this mission.
0: That's Dan Erdman of Farm Rescue. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Agribiz Show. I've been your host, Rusty Halverson, on the mighty 790 and 104.7 KFGO.